it feels luscious and open and like there's more to find, more to be, places to go, oceans to swim in, and new people to love. Welcome to Art That Overcomes, where we are redefining identity after narcissistic abuse. My name is Jennifer, and I'm an artist, licensed art therapist, and coach who helps women like you overcome the lasting effects of narcissistic abuse. It's the anxiety, self-doubt, and lack of confidence that can keep us stuck even long after the abusive relationship has ended. Together, we are redefining our identities, one drawing or painting at a time, because it's your turn to take charge now, no narcissist allowed. I teach all my clients the same art and writing technique that's been so life-changing in my own recovery. It allows us to connect our thinking brain to our feeling brain and, quite literally, draw out the subconscious thoughts, feelings, and beliefs that need to be heard. In each episode, I'll share a piece of my artwork along with the free association writing I did in response to the image. Then at the end, you'll get a little bit of encouragement from your future self as I invite you to join me in imagining what message she may have for you today. This is real, raw, and vulnerable because in my experience, that's what it takes to truly heal. Let's get to it. I'll be discussing today is a large mixed media painting. I'd rolled out a big piece of white butcher paper and taped it up to the wall vertically so that the size of the paper was comparable to the size of my body. I'm about five foot eight inches tall and this paper is four feet wide and probably five feet tall. So when I taped it up um, on the wall about a foot, foot and a half higher than the floor, the artwork really did mirror my body as I worked on it. I felt like I was inside the painting and this is one of my favorite ways to work. I was very intentional in making the choice to work this way on that particular day. As I've shared before, it's so important in this process for us to trust our intuition and what we feel that our body and emotions need as we approach our materials. And on that day that I started this piece, I had wanted to draw large with both hands at the same time, stretching my arms really big. So I followed that impulse, that intuition to draw large on this large paper. Now, drawing with both hands is also known as bilateral drawing, which is a form of bilateral stimulation. For anyone familiar with trauma treatments like EMDR, then you understand that stimulation of both the right and left sides of the brain can play a very important role in trauma healing modalities. I talk about how, you know, this art and writing process that I teach is a way to connect our feeling brain and our thinking brain through first doing the art and then the writing, but also this simple act of just using both hands simultaneously as we work, or even using one hand to make large gestures that cross um, from like from one side of the body to the other, crossing the midline of our brain, Those movements in and of themselves are another way to achieve that sort of conversation, if you will, between the two sides of our brain. 
also writing with your non-dominant hand or switching back and forth between writing with your dominant hand and then writing with your non-dominant is another great way to do this. So I'm, I'm no neuroscientist and I don't claim to be. I prefer to talk about this phenomenon in layman's terms, like your thinking and feeling brain. I feel like that's easier to understand. So I won't get too much deeper into that, but I do want to share um, one other really important piece of how visual art making stimulates our brains in really and helpful really helpful and important ways. And um, what I'm about to share, it's also super relevant to this particular piece of artwork as well. But I do want to spend some time talking about this. It's so important. And it's about the art media. So not only do our our bodily movements, our physical movements play an important role in our brain stimulation as we engage in this art making process, but the types of art media we choose are also really significant and they can be used in intentional ways to achieve the results that we want. In the art therapy world, this is referred to as the media dimension variables, and it essentially means this. Any visual art media that we use can be classified as either fluid or resistive or somewhere in the middle. So think of this as a continuum front with fluid media on one end and resistive media on the other. So what do I mean by fluid and resistive? Examples of fluid media are paint with, I'd say probably watercolor paint being among the most fluid and then like thicker acrylic and oil paints that you have to squeeze out of a tube. Um, those are a little less fluid. So moving gradually down this continuum toward the resistive. Uh, Water-based clay like you'd use on a potter's wheel is an example of a fluid 3D media. Um, and depending on how much water you add to it, it's going to be more or less fluid, right? Um, a fairly fluid drawing material would be a soft chalk pastel. So you can really create a lot of chalk dust and smear that around the paper with your hand. But that sensory experience, although it's pretty fluid, you know, it's going to feel a little less fluid than using watercolor paint, right? I hope that makes sense. So now moving down the continuum, examples of more resistive media all the way at the other end of the spectrum would be like a hard graphite pencil, maybe a crayon, cutting magazine pictures for a collage, or hammering two pieces of wood together. All of those sensory experiences are much more resistive and demand quite a bit of control and effort to use. Like if you think about the physical experience your body has hammering into or sawing through a piece of wood, that is very different from the way your body feels as your hands glide over a wet clay pot or cup that's spinning on the potter's wheel. That resistive media gives a lot more pushback. A couple examples of art media, art materials that hang out somewhere in the middle of this continuum would be oil pastels or felt tip markers or even like, a, like ink pens. These drawing tools allow for some of that feeling of fluidity as they glide across whatever surface you're using them on, but they don't resist or push back against the surface as much as like a pencil, for example. So now why is this important? Why do these classifications of fluid versus resistive matter? Okay, here's the important part. It's because fluid media lends itself more to emotional expression and resistive media lends itself more toward a feeling of containment and control. 
So when we're painting, or better yet, finger painting, like really fully engaging in that sensory experience, we're more likely to tap into our deeper emotions, really getting into our feeling brain, as I call it. And when we're using our brand new set of sharp colored pencils to fill in all the tiny shapes in an adult coloring book, we're still accessing our feelings, but in a different way. We're giving ourselves an increased feeling of control. I really encourage you to experiment with this. Try using a variety of fluid and resistive media like I just described and assess how you're feeling before and after. I know that while, you know, some people tend to like generally prefer one type of media over another, it also might depend on the day and the mood you're in when you approach your art. The powerful thing about being armed with this knowledge of the media dimension variables is that when you approach your creative art making time, you can really make a choice about what media to use based on how you're feeling and how you want to be feeling. So if I'm feeling super emotional and all over the place, like really overwhelmed, I often want to draw with Sharpie markers, for example, that helps me feel calmer and more in control. I can make distinct lines and shapes and fill them in with a perfect block of color. That is if the, if the Sharpies are new and have plenty of ink in them, you know, and it feels so satisfying. But on that same day, if I, if I tried to paint, I may just be left with, you know, a feeling of, of more overwhelm. I might be frustrated because I can't control the paint as well. And because the fluid sensory experience gets me more in my emotions. And I was wanting to sort of contain them and calm them down, right? You know, maybe that's not what I needed to, to get more deeper into the emotions on that day. And vice versa, on many days that I enter my studio, I may really be feeling emotional, but rather than being like overwhelmed and hysterical, those emotions are all brimming like just below the surface and I need an outlet for them. On those days, paint is exactly what I need to open myself up and really give me an opportunity to feel all that's there. And of course, it gives me that safe container in which to do that. If you're someone who who tends to have trouble accessing your emotions, then I definitely encourage you to just ease into experimenting with paint or other fluid media. It's so common um, for my clients to start to feel tears welling up as they paint or even they begin to cry and they, and they often ask me, is this normal? And it definitely is. It's totally normal for a bunch of feelings to rise to the surface when we paint or when we do any kind of art. So... I kind of almost don't want to give too many specific examples because this can look so different for different people, but I do encourage you to take this knowledge and go experiment for yourself and let me know what it was like for you. I'd love to hear from you. Okay, so I'm going to share more about my experience with this large mixed media painting um, after I read you the excerpt from my creative writing, my responsive writing, but first let me describe um, what the painting looks like for you. So as I said, it is about four feet wide and five feet tall. I worked on it vertically taped up on the wall. This was a piece that I came back to over the course of several weeks. So I really allowed myself to sit with it and give thought to what it needed next. I began with those big arm gestures using crayons and then oil pastels. This created two large oval shapes, one on each half of the paper. So if you imagine like making big arm circles on the paper, that's what was there. 
And there was also a smaller circle kind of in the center, in the middle. Then I, I colored in um, a more solid blue area that was right in front of my face, so a little above that, that middle circle. It was right at eye level. Then I used um, the rim of a small plastic cup dipped in red paint to stamp little circles all over the paper. Then there was another day that I went back into it and outlined some of those those um, little circles with an off-white paint, like a cream-colored paint. And I also covered up some of the shapes to simplify the composition. So I was sort of editing some things out to make it look more simple, taking what felt a little chaotic and sort of reining it in. Several days later after that, I came back to it again, and I used a dark navy blue to edit out even more of those chaotic shapes on the right and left sides. And then I took a light sky blue paint um, and sort of highlighted the top area and, um, and the bottom. Um, this is kind of in the center at the top and at the bottom. The resulting image appears almost like a, like a light blue hourglass shape in the middle of the paper with um, bubble-like circles floating throughout the center and then dissipating into the darker surrounding areas. This one is a little bit difficult to describe, so if you had trouble imagining it, I do really recommend that you view the images. You can do that by heading over to Art That Overcomes on Instagram or sign up for my weekly email. You'll get it straight to your inbox each time a new episode airs, and if you miss one week, then the following week's email will have a link for you to go back and view what you missed. So you can find all the important links you need at the link in the show notes. Now let's hear what this art had to tell me through my free association writing after I completed it. It's connected, flowing, beautiful, bubbly, calm in the close-up, a little chaotic from a distance, but oh so beautiful when you dig in deep and stare at its core, all its little hidden places of wonder and discovery and adventure and play. I want to dive into that smudgy white and blue part. I ask my artwork, what feels so good about that part? It answers, it feels luscious and open and like there's more to find, more to be, places to go, oceans to swim in, and new people to love. If you go in deep, below the surface of that paper and through the wall and through the vintage brick exterior to the root of all that makes life happen in my heart. My creator, my way, my way maker. He makes a way out of the ugliest of places and circumstances and happenstances and planned situations and unplanned and manipulation and abuse and mistreatment of all kinds. All the ways people use people to be someone they're not and were never meant to be. There, through and past all of it, I float. The responsive writing you just heard was an excerpt of what I wrote somewhere in the middle of the process of creating this piece because so because I worked on it over the course of many different days, I also engaged in the free association writing multiple times. And my first attempts to connect with the emotions brought up by my artwork were actually a bit frustrating. You know, if you've listened to my previous episodes, then you've heard about some of my angst that tends to come out in the art and writing process. And this experience was no different. I had a lot, a lot of emotions to process and wasn't, wasn't quite sure where I was going with it. 
That's a big part of why I gave myself permission to just sit with the image for a while. I left that large paper taped up on the wall in my studio for several weeks. And each time I came in, I would look at it, spend time with it, and consider whether I needed to work on it more that day or not. No guilt, no pressure. This is all, you know, it's always a no judgment zone in this process. It was just there for me whenever I was ready to return to it, to revisit all of the emotions that had come up. And that's one of the really beautiful things about using art as our safe container to express ourselves. We're able to symbolically take those thoughts and feelings outside of our body and put them onto the paper, the canvas, whatever the surfaces we're using. Then we can symbolically leave them there until we're ready to return to them again. This comes into play whether we're working on one piece of art over a long period of time or also after we finish the artwork. I always encourage my clients to be really intentional with what they choose to do with their art when it's finished. And again, this can be very powerful on a symbolic level. Like you can leave your artwork up on display. You could tuck it away in a drawer, leave it in a sketchbook. You could throw it away. You could give it to someone else. You could share a photo of it on social media. You know, there's no wrong answer here. It's just what feels right to you. Whatever's going to be um, the best way to honor you and the images and the thoughts and feelings that came out in the art. With this big painting, I chose to leave it up on the wall for quite a while even after it was finished. So it was up for a long time as I worked on it. And then even after I felt like it was finished, I left it up. I really enjoyed looking at it and contemplating the feeling of freedom that I'd finally experienced on the day that I wrote what you just heard and on the days that I continued to add um, the dark and light blue after that point. I wanted to share um, this particular writing excerpt with you um, because it was um, part of the most impactful part of the process of this particular piece for me. That was a lot of P words. <laughs> um, you know, it contained that big aha moment. And as I was looking at, you know, all the colors and shapes that had surfaced, the, the aha moment was centered around the fact that my eye kept feeling drawn to that blue area of oil pastel that I'd colored in right at eye level. And I'd done that kind of early on in the process. And something, something about it felt very oceanic to me. It felt like water. And especially with like the little bubble-like circles floating all around it, it, it felt... Um, it felt like the ocean. It felt like water. And I, and I love, I love the ocean. I love the beach. And so even as I continued working on it days later, and I was choosing to cover up most of the, the other like drawn oil pastel areas I was covering up with paint, I left that area just as it had been um, earlier in the process. And as I began to write about it, I allowed myself to just become totally sucked into that free feeling in my body that I had as I looked at it. I imagined myself myself like swimming deep in the sea, going through the paper, through the wall of my studio, through the exterior wall of the building, as I said in my writing, the vintage brick exterior, and imagined going out into like some other realm. And I wrote, to the root of all that makes life happen in my heart my creator, my way, my way maker. So my artwork or my, my subconscious brain was pointing me to this sense of inner freedom and expansiveness and source 
that actually exist inside my own heart, not really out there beyond the walls of the studio, although that symbolism and allowing myself to just write what was coming out of my mind, um, that symbolism of moving through the wall of the building is what led me to that deeper meaning here. So as I went with it, I just went with the flow. Um, I got I got around to that deeper meaning. Um, and I and I mentioned my creator here, and I realized not everyone listening to this is a spiritual person, but for me, this process of connecting with my mind, heart, soul, and body through my artwork is also really a way for me to connect with my understanding of God, with my creator. This is a very spiritual experience for me most often. And I believe that, you know, my belief is that God's spirit literally dwells inside me within my own spirit. So when I'm hearing these beautiful and comforting messages of freedom through my artwork or through my brain, I often find a sense that I'm also, you know, hearing from God's spirit as well. And, and one last thing I wanted to, to highlight about this, if it wasn't clear already, is that on this day, my artwork, my subconscious brain, and my God were all pointing me to such a deep joy. You know, after wading through so many tough emotions over several days of working on this piece, I finally like felt this permission to experience joy and to really dwell on that, to finally trust that my pain and angst had been sufficiently explored and that I could rest and venture into a new emotion. I allowed myself to float there, to really take it all in. Before we move on to imagine what message your future self might have for you today, I want to let you know how you can join me in this process of using art to redefine your identity. So it was after experiencing the power of this art and writing process myself that I decided to reverse engineer it to create a step-by-step program that you can follow too. I get so excited about this. I call it the redefined process because we're all about redefining, right? And it's all included, this whole process, in my monthly Redefined membership, along with so much more. You're also going to get access to weekly coaching calls, community chat with other overcomers just like you. You'll have the option to schedule a one-on-one coaching session with me if you need more support, and lots of other additional courses also included. Just search for Redefined by Jennifer Kramer in your app store or go to the link in the show notes to view the web-based version. I can't wait to see you there. A message from your future self. What would it mean for you to feel happiness, joy, contentment? What would it mean for you to choose that right now and then again and again? I remember how this wasn't always a simple question for us to answer. So many days, months, and years have been devoted to the struggle, the trauma reactions that kept you on high alert, the grief that weighed you down, 
and the anxiety that felt like an unwanted yet familiar friend. Choosing another path takes courage. It requires great strength. You will face resistance along the way, not only from your own familiar patterns, but pushback from others too. The ones who are used to you playing the role of the victim, the abused, the sad, the lonely. They're used to rescuing you, and you are used to being rescued. But now I'm calling you to rise. I'm calling you to give us permission to feel good. I'm calling you to step forward and claim this. It's your future, our future, our dreams, our life, our destiny. We are allowed to enjoy it. Lift your head and come with me now. We are walking into joy. Thanks for listening in today. In this journey of healing after narcissistic abuse, it's so important that we allow space for our past, present, and future selves to speak. Today, you've gotten a glimpse into some messages I received from different parts of my subconscious brain that just needed to be heard, along with an encouraging message from an imagined future version of you. I hope there was something that resonated with you here and that you'll take it along with you on your own healing journey. Remember, you are an overcomer.